And it became very clear very quickly to me that this person, who was a man, didn't like me. Because I was a woman. And I'd never, ever come across that in my career at all. I'd never felt that I was, I suppose, dealt with and treated differently because of being a woman. And then, as well as that, I got to a certain age where, and I had perimenopausal symptoms for a few years, you know, a few hot flushes and bits and pieces that you'd expect. And then suddenly, my symptoms just got really, really bad. And it was, it, it felt to me at the time like it was literally overnight. And so I'd got all these things happening. So I was already a little bit stressed because I thrive on stress. I've got all this extra work that's come on. My physical health was not good because I'd already, you know, ruined that through the years over all my bits and pieces that I hadn't focused on myself. And then I got perimenopause really bad. And my particular unlock moment was I was on a Zoom call. And I remember being on a, a leadership call um, with probably 10, 12 other people that are all my peers and, and, and the chief operating officer. And we were just talking and literally I just started crying on the call. And the reason I started crying was I, I just could not understand what they were telling me. And I, and I was like, what, what on earth's wrong with you? You just, you know, I couldn't remember people's names. I couldn't remember, like, you know, a boss had asked me a, a question and I just could not remember the answer to the question. And I just started crying. Now, of course, my colleagues were really understanding, but I just turned my camera off really quickly and just said, I need to go. And I just broke down basically at that moment. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, we're talking about the topic of workplace well-being. Steph Lee is a business transformation coach here in the UK and founder of People First Workplace, as well as the host of the podcast, Redefining Wellbeing in the Workplace. If you check it out, you can hear us talking in reverse about wellbeing and the unlock moment. Steph's previous career was as a finance director and CFO in large organizations such as the global data analytics and brand consulting firm Kantar. Continually under pressure, trying to juggle her career, her workload and her deadlines with life at home, 
She describes periods of high stress and overwhelm which ultimately resulted in an unhealthy lifestyle, body and mind. Today, we're going to talk about how she got there, her unlock moment of remarkable clarity when she finally realised she needed to make a change, and what happened next. Steph Lee, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the unlock moment. Thank you very much, Gary, for having me, and thanks for a fantastic introduction. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and such an important topic as well, I know, will resonate with many, many of my listeners. So, Where do we need to start in your journey to understand this point of transition and where you are today? I guess my my unlock moment itself was about two and a half years ago. But I would say that my story started maybe 10 years before that. So start us there. Yeah. So I guess my whole life had been, I've very much been a driven human being and uh, very much stems from my my father's philosophy um and he was sort of always uh, pushing us as children to sort of like achieve um better things for ourselves and that sort of has stayed with me throughout my whole life and i'd got to my career and and i'd built my career up and i sort of like was a cfo um in various different organizations and i i like to think a very successful cfo and um would always bring everything about myself to to, the, to my job and in fact i'd sort of given up so i'd given up but i'd chosen not to have children in my life because i wanted to sort of be i wanted to follow my career um and i was working for this organization and i you know it was almost like my first cfo role actually so i was I, I was sort of like the stephanie that had grown up with an average education and was now this CFO of this like large retail catering organization. And so that in itself was a bit of a a wow moment for me. And, and I was really enjoying my job. And then there was a change in ownership and this, um, effectively there was a new chairman of the organization and it became very clear, very quickly to me that this person who was a man, um, didn't like me. And the reason he didn't like me, and that again became clearer and clearer, was because I was a woman. And I've never, ever come across that in my career at all. I've never felt that I was, I suppose, dealt with and treated differently because of being a woman. Anyway, the short story for that is ultimately I was pushed out of the organisation, but it sent me on a real spiral of anxiety and stress. And I took six months out of work uh, because I just could not handle what what had gone, gone on. And I would say that's the reason why that's the start of my my journey, because when I look back, did I ever fully deal with that and recover from that? I'm not sure, but it did it did make me a different person going forward because I came out of that situation absolutely adamant that I would never, ever let anybody do that to me again. And that's a really resonant story because I think you're describing, you know, before that time, not a particularly anxious person, successful in your career, driven, etc. And I think a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people where they can think of one particular relationship with particularly often a manager, sometimes a colleague, but often a manager that has really impacted how they feel inside. And actually on a different podcast they do called The Coacherium, we were talking very recently um, about the fact that your manager can have just as much impact on your mental health as your partner. Um, in life. And I think a lot of people don't, don't think about 
that enough. And a lot of leaders don't think about that enough, that something that they're doing that they think is just, well, that's what business is like. That's what the workplace is like. They don't see what happens when the person leaves the office space or leaves the shop floor, wherever it is that they're, they're working. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and that's an element of a lot of these things that have happened to me sort of in that part of my life as what spurred me on to do what I do now, because it really doesn't have to be like that. And it's, you know, and I know life is slightly different, but I've still experienced, you know, not bullying, but just sort of bad leadership, poor leadership. And I don't want other people to have to experience that. And then I think we can change and we just need to be, be, I, I guess be be the ones that make that difference and make that change and don't just carry on the way we have been. And one of the biggest things for me with that particular instance that happened to me was it wasn't so much what he was doing, but it was my colleagues around me who I respected. They they let it happen. You know, they let it happen. They could all see it happening. And that's what I was most upset about, I think, was that, I'd known some of these people for many, many years and they didn't stand up for me. They were too afraid to stand up to the bully effectively. I was going to say, why do you think they didn't? Because I genuinely think they were afraid for themselves if they did. They spoke out. Um, They wanted to have their careers and keep their own careers. I was talking to somebody very recently who He's going to come on the podcast and talk about this story, but he was talking about um, a a massive failure in an organization and in the formal investigation as to what happened in that organization, one of the critical causative factors of the failure was the loss of psychological safety in that environment. And people didn't ask questions when they should have asked questions. They didn't point out what was going wrong when they could see it was going wrong because a culture had been created where you can't do that. And it's a subtle thing in an organization. How do you create a culture in which people feel comfortable to say, that's not okay. And they feel empowered to call out where there's behavior that isn't in in line with their values or the culture of them and the team and the organization. Um, But I suspect that many people listening will recognize what you're saying in, in places maybe they've worked before, maybe even places that they're working in now. So, so what happened after that time? So that sparked some, some kind of consequences from having been through that experience in, in how, you, how you continued in future roles. Yeah, and it, I, I guess the first thing that started there was because I did get some support in terms of my um, dealing with my anxiety, cognitive behavioural therapy, and I started reading a lot about you know, health and well-being and things like that. So that was the, the sort of start of my journey to find out more about how I can help myself through those things so that that wouldn't happen to me again. And then over time, you started to, to see the impact on your health and well-being of this sort of the stressful environment that you were in, in, you know, over time in different roles. Talk about how that started to emerge and, and what you started to notice. I think that the sort of key thing here is the sort of busyness of the, of the work and the I mean, I like stress. I sort of thrive on stress and a lot of the roles that I've had have very much been in the thick of full transformations of organisations. So it's, it's not so much the stress itself, but it's the 
the knock-on effect and it has on other areas of your life. And it may be the amount of hours that you work. As an example, not switching off at weekends, um, not finding that you've got time to go and physically exercise your body, emotionally eating, eating on the go, lots of things that build up ultimately to an unhealthy physical body. And then the emotional side of it, and I was I was sort of able to keep a lot of that in check. But there were times, and it was sort of like a roller coaster where there were times when everything was fine, and then there were times when we were all sort of working at two hundred miles an hour. And much as though I thrived on it, there was a point where you 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 sort of the whole leadership team was was sort of working at two hundred miles an hour. And even your your sort of leaders and the sort of generally I would work for a chief operating officer. And, you know, even they were running at 2000 miles an hour as well. And you, you, I kept looking and thinking to myself, God, we, we just need to stop. You know, we, we literally just need to take a breath. And actually, we'd come back as a much stronger team if we could just take that breath and just move forward. Um, and but for my physical health, I was I don't know, I was very overweight very overweight and it kept just piling on and piling on and I I started to do yo-yo dieting all the time which I you know now now in hindsight was just the wrong thing to do um I started and I I sort of reached out to lots of different people to get help whether it be for my sort of emotional support meditating journaling um but and I would do them for a week and then I just go back to my previous way of doing things or just wasn't putting myself first basically and I'm I'm sort of married and my husband was very much a senior exec. And so there was the two of us and we got to a point where we were almost like passing ships in the night sometimes where we'd sort of like get to the weekend and we'd just go, oh, and we'd just like sit there exhausted and uh, for the whole weekend. And we wouldn't do much, you know, with our spare time either because we were just both exhausted. Um, but, you know, there was elements of we both thrived on that, um, but, you know, looking back, we now realise it was a, a very much at the expense of our own physical health and, and emotional mental health as well. And I think that's really important that there's lots of people who kind of get a buzz from working intensely for a period of time, but there is a kind of inevitability of life that, that no human can keep going at 200 miles an hour without a break for longer than a certain period of time. And did you, I mean... Did you start to notice for yourself the impact on health and well-being or did it take other people pointing it out for you? It was a bit of both because I've always um, been fairly connected to myself from a sort of emotional point of view and sort of recognised that and got to a point where it was just constant. It was just constant all the time and I was just noticing that I was getting sharp with people I was getting frustrated and I'd start to sort of be frustrated myself in the office and in front of my, in front of my team. Um, I'd be, you know, go come out of meetings and you'd be like, Oh, for goodness sake, what next sort of thing. And of course that's, that's not good for your team either because they, they looking for you for strength and support. And you come out almost like saying the same as they've been saying in terms of you're fed up with all this stuff that's going on. Um, and it's easy to reflect back on that now. Um, and I would be, I wouldn't have time for my family. And, you know, there would be comments about uh, when are we going to see you again? Because I live further away from my family. And 
you know, I was snappy with them and I wasn't sort of being me and they knew that I wasn't me. And um, I would get those comments occasionally if I've got two sisters, my two sisters would, would be saying to me, what's the matter? You're not, you know, you know, you're not, you're not the Steph we used to know. And that, that was, that sort of is a real wake up call. Uh, and I think me and my husband had sort of knew that and picked up on stuff of that ourselves. And, were, and even as a, as a relationship, we were sort of like just going through the motions. Um, and I think it was, yeah, just individual moments from families and friends that you realized that you weren't actually being the good sister or the good daughter or the good friend that you used to be. That's really powerful. Talk to me about control. Did you feel that you had control? Did you feel you didn't have control when you did? Did you feel you didn't have control at all? I felt like I had some control um, because I'd been through what I'd been through before. I was aware. I'd started to recognise that something wasn't right. And I... And actually, as a leader, it was probably me telling my team and giving them all of the advice about, you know, they would they would sometimes work weekends and, and I would be constantly saying to them, you do not have to work weekends. If you're, if you're so busy that you've got to work a weekend, then you need to talk to me because I cannot, you know, it's not good for you to do that. But I was sort of leading them and mentoring them, but I wasn't actually following my own advice. And so it was, it was, I felt as if I had some control because I knew what I needed to do because I was telling other people to do it and, and really being very protective of my own team. But I think it's sort of as leaders, sometimes we do that. We protect our team, but sometimes it can be at the expense of our own health as well. Um, and really what I should be doing or I should have been doing was actually reflecting that back to my leader and saying, look, it's too much. There's only so much, so many hours in the day. And even if we do, you know, a reasonable amount of extra time and extra hours, then, you know, we still can't get all this done. So something has to give. And I think a lot of people are afraid to do that because they're afraid that it shows that they're weak. You know, for me, there's, there's nothing, there's no weakness in holding your hand up saying, I need some help. I need support from the team around you. No, there's no shame in that at all. So the unlock moment, moment of remarkable clarity, when you suddenly figure out the path ahead, and you remember where you were when it happened. What was your unluck moment? My unluck moment was, I suppose, for a couple of different things. There was a couple of different things going on at the same time. And it was just as COVID came along. So I was doing a job where I was going into London a couple of days a week and working from home. So I sort of was already looking at um, or used to working from home quite a bit. And obviously everything changed with COVID and, and certainly in the organisation I was working at, we, you know, like most organisations, we had to sort of muscle really quickly to make some changes to what we were doing once we realised that this was not going away. So that meant that we were, you know, we were already working really, really hard. And the, the, the point I make here is that, in, and I think you were intimating before, that if there's a level of stress that we most of us sort of have an A level of stress. But if you're running at 200 miles an hour and then something else big just comes along, that's the thing that can send you over. So you might be running at 
you know, 90 miles an hour, but one big thing to come along just shatters you completely. And effectively, that's what happened to me. And there, but there were two things that came along. One was COVID and, and it wasn't as so much COVID itself, but I think it was because I like people. I like working with people and the interaction that you get from people is, you know, I get a real buzz out of actually that interaction. And that's why I, you know, I could have worked from home, but I went into the office. So suddenly that wasn't there. And I, I would be, as most people did on Zoom calls, virtually, you know, back to back Zoom calls all day and you weren't actually getting that interaction. So that was going on. Um, and we were working twice as hard because we needed to, you know, completely transform the business based on what we were going through. And then as well as that, I got to a certain age where, and I had perimenopausal symptoms for a few years, a few hot flushes and bits and pieces that you'd expect. And then suddenly in the middle of all this, probably about six months after COVID started and we were sort of locked down, my symptoms just got really, really bad. And it was, it, it felt to me at the time, like it was literally overnight and so I'd got all these things happening. So I was already a little bit stressed because I thrive on stress. I've got all this extra work that's come on. Um, my physical health was not good because I'd already, you know, ruined that through the years over all my bits and pieces that I hadn't focused on myself. And then I got perimenopause really bad. And my particular unlock moment was I was on a Zoom call and this has been building up for a while. I, I was getting really, really teary for absolutely no reasons whatsoever. I'd already been taking natural supplements and various different things because being interested in well-being, you know, I went out there and tried to find ways I could help myself without going on to sort of HRT or anything like that. And I remember being on a, a leadership call um, with probably 10, 12 other people that are all my peers and, and, and the chief operating officer. And we were just talking and literally I just started crying on the call. And, it, it, and the reason I started crying was I, put, I just could not understand what they were telling me. And I, and I was like, what, what on earth's wrong with you? You just, you know, I couldn't remember people's names. I couldn't remember, like, you know, a boss had asked me a, a question and I just could not remember the answer to the question. And I just started crying. Now, of course, my colleagues were really understanding, but I just turned my camera off really quickly and just said, I need to go. And I just broke down basically at that moment. And, and, and I, I took my time from that. And I, it was a real recognition for me that like, oh, you, you just cannot carry on like this. This is just ridiculous. And at that time, I didn't know what I needed to solve for. I knew that I needed to sort my health out and I knew that I needed to sort what was happening with menopause. Um, but the other part of me, and this is why I sort of took us back to the beginning of the story 10 years or so ago, was being a successful executive and a woman. And I've never found that particularly hard. So, and I'm very much a person who doesn't think that a woman should get a job because she is a woman. For me, if I get a role I want to get the role because of me and my skills um, and that reminds me of another story but maybe I'll come back to that one later but um so I was sitting there with this all this hormonal stuff going on in my sort of like early 50s thinking but you've got to just you know you basically just got to give yourself a kick up the backside 
because you can't let what happens to women affect your career and affect your life. It was almost like a shame. I was like thinking, oh, God. And, and, and the guy that I worked for was a guy. So it was sort of like, and I sort of, I probably sat with it for a few days. You know, he was concerned about what had happened on the call. And, and but I sat with it for a few days in terms of, well, what do I tell him? How do I talk about this? Because, you know, I, I think as women, we don't even talk about it, let alone talk about it with other people in the organization and, and certainly not with a, with a man that, that I worked for. Um, and then ultimately I did because I did, I was sat there and thought, no, you know, this is part of being a woman. Every woman has to go through this, you know, be it your sister, your mother, your grandmother, everybody, you know, every woman or everybody that's born with sort of like ovaries goes through this. And, and so I did, I sort of got my big girl pants on, as they would say, and I got on a call with my boss and I just said, I'm really sorry, but I just can't. This is what's happening. I'm really struggling just to cope. I, I started to get insomnia as well. So I sort of like had these symptoms, but I was also not sleeping. And, and he was really, really understanding. And, and, and actually, unbeknown to me, his wife had gone through it. So I assumed that he wouldn't know what I was talking about, but of course he did. And we ultimately, I went and got help. And I got help for my emotional health. I got hope for my, help for my physical health. I took time out of work. I took, I think, four or five weeks out of the office and because I knew I needed to repair myself and I needed that. I couldn't do my job and I wasn't doing my job. You know, I wouldn't do anyone in, in the company any good with my, you know, the, the physical health and the way I was feeling right there. And, um, and much so there was part of me that felt that that, that made me weak and now look back and think no actually you weren't you were strong because you you did something about it you didn't actually just sit back and let it happen to you you did something about it and then when I did go back to work we did a phased back to work and ultimately I changed my hours that I worked to suit what I needed to support me through that phase and so that so that was sort of my unlock moment um and then during the rest of COVID, I started to really think about what I wanted to do with my career. And, and I sat there thinking, God, you want to be a finance director for the next 10 years? And yes, I was dealing with spreadsheets, but not, 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 it was more the strategic stuff that I was involved in. And I really enjoyed it. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed more the sort of leadership part of that and, and being part of the leadership team and affecting strategy. and. And I sort of thrived on that. Um, but then I had this little bit of me that was really interested in health and well-being. And through this process that I went through with my perimenopause, and when I hit that unlock moment, I went out and, and sort of engaged my own health coach. And, and in fact, I think I tried three in the end. I got through three. And it always felt to me that there was something missing, that there wasn't it was focusing on my physical health and focusing a little bit on my emotional health or focusing on my emotional health, but not my physical health. So there was sort of, and I was like, well, I want something that does covers everything. Just talk to one person about all of those things. And, and rather madly at the time, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to just go and do 
my, a course of my own to train how to be a well-being coach. So while I was working, while I was continuing to do my job when I went back, I also started studying for my well-being coach course. And then I would say probably about a year after that, that circumstances meant that I was in a situation where I could hand my notice in and just do it. And I, I was just, I was scared and excited all at the same time because I'd gone from, you know, having a career and, and, and both my, my husband and I having sort of successful careers and financially secure uh, to, you know, no, no income at all. Literally overnight, it was like the, the, the biggest decision I think I've ever made to do that. But when I look back now, it was the best decision I've ever made because I absolutely love what I do now. And if I was still back in a finance role, I would be stifling what I'm really passionate about. My listeners have picked up on and, and really resonated with me when you're describing through was you talked about the fated Zoom call. And I can imagine that for a lot of people, they would take that as, I had a really challenging experience in that moment. I need to dust myself off and come back tomorrow morning as if nothing's happened. And for you, that's not what happened. For you, it was really the trigger for thinking differently, rethinking lots of different things. What made that for you feel like such a pivot point to change the way you thought about what you need to be doing? I think because deep down, I knew that I'd not been looking after my health and I hadn't been looking after my emotional health and, and my physical health. And having sort of been interested in, in that side of things and been sort of curious and following people and reading lots of things about this, I knew what the problem was. I knew that I needed to do something about me and I needed to put myself first and if I didn't, I would possibly go back to where I was 10 years ago with that situation where I could you know, barely leave the house. And the, the sort of two of those things are very heavily linked in terms of I, I didn't want to go back there again. And I knew that I, you know, this was it. This is your moment, Steph, of you've got to do something different. And I'd probably been knowing that it was it was rumbling in the background for a while. Um, and that particular call and how I sort of then thought, no, you need to do something about that in terms of your, you know, take time out of work. And I did carry on for a few more days and sort of said, you know, I did dust myself off a little bit, but only after I'd had that conversation. And, but then I think about a week later, it was still, you know, there was still, it was still all there and there was nothing I seemed to do to really help. So I knew that I had to do something about it. I knew that I had to take steps and I had to just stop working for a, a period of time to enable me to do that. Now, you don't know this. I've, I've mentioned a couple of times on, on other podcast episodes about the book that I've started to write and haven't shown anybody yet about the unlock moment and trying to see the patterns between different people and completely different walks of life, completely different circumstances, but this moment of remarkable clarity and what characterizes it. And one of the chapters that I'm writing is called 
alone with others. And this idea that, you know, you described this, that you are surrounded by people there who support you, who want to help you, who want to make things better for you. But at the same time, and, and I say this in actually quite a positive way, that it's for you. This is something that only you can decide that this is the moment, that this is a time when I've got to grasp the nettle and, and, and make the change. Does that resonate with you, that idea of alone with others? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it does. Because, you know, I was very well supported with loads of colleagues. So after this happened, and in fact, it opened up a whole conversation between the, all of the um, people in my team around, because I, would, I was not afraid to talk to them all about it, whether they be men or women. And other women started opening up as well about their sort of perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And I, th- I think that we're all supported, aren't we? We're all supported by colleagues, by our families. But ultimately, we have to be that person that asks for help, asks for support. And many people don't ask for help and support because, you know, we, it's just seen as a weakness, isn't it? Um, but in the world that we live in now, we need help and support and we, you know, we need that and we can get that from various different, um, sources and and you might, yes, get the support from your colleagues, but sometimes even that's not enough and you need to get help yourself in terms of maybe a professional help or, um, a wellbeing coach or, you know, I've do you believe that the organisation can do a lot more to help support employees? Because part of the part of the reason that I was where I was was because I've got too many things to do in my job, and there was, you know, very um, heavy deadlines and pressure to get things done. And I understood all that, but the day to day job was still there as well. So. And, and I know that even sort of CEOs and sort of senior leaders have that as well. And so it's this whole cascade effect of if, if, if you're busy at the top of the chain and, and then it ultimately gets pushed down, but there's always stuff coming down. There's always stuff. And I'm, I'm very much believe, and I sort of call them the sort of squeezed middle because you've got leaders who push from the top. And then as a, as a sort of leader in the middle, you've got, the sort of coaching and mentoring of your team and and they have their own challenges that they bring to the office as well. And you end up being this sort of squeezed person in the middle. Um, and we really need to protect those those leaders much more than we do right now. And part of that is to to look at the workload that we do give people because I I also remember when I first started working and I can't remember any of the sort of pressure and I was wasn't in the same job by any means. But I saw the pressure that some of my team were under. And, and I can't remember ever having that pressure sort of 20, 30 years ago. You know, we could go to work at nine and go home at five. And, you know, and, but I know life has changed. And I respect that life has changed. Um, but I don't believe that you, we need to carry on doing it the way we're doing it now. And, and we, can, we can make changes happen. There's, there's an interesting book for those interested in kind of organisation um optimization books is called time talent energy and it's all about the dynamics of how to create a a working environment that isn't overwhelming in terms of meetings and email all these kinds of things around the actually doing the job producing the product you know whatever the core mission of your business is 
And there's a very interesting piece in there which talks about the change in the working world from the like the 1970s, for example, over the last you know 40, 50 years, where you look back and say, in a world when if you wanted to arrange a meeting, somebody physically had to phone up other people and then write on a piece of paper and bring them together, you had a meeting with a small number of people in because it was really hard work to get 40 people together in a room. And if you wanted to, to tell people about something, you had to personally write each of them a letter by hand or type it out or something. Um, and so you, you couldn't just sort of CC everybody in the office. Um, and they went and did the analysis of the team from Bain. They went and did the analysis on the number of things that executives now have to deal with. And it's orders of magnitude bigger because it's easier to do it. It's easier to send an email than it ever was to write a letter. It's easier to organize a meeting than ever it was before. And now you can do it on Zoom. So you don't even need to have everybody in the same place. And therefore, surprise, surprise, we're overwhelmed with emails and meetings. Are the things that we're doing in business better than we were doing before? You know, they're different, for sure. Um, but a lot of the overwhelm is because you can, not because you must. And it's a very interesting experiment that they did with an organization and they said, um, we are going to work with the executive team only. So six people at the top of the business around the table, and we're going to give them three rules for their emails. And the rules are don't send an email if you don't need to. Don't CC the person unless you really need their point of view. And don't reply to an email unless an email is specifically needed to be replied to. So don't reply and say thanks. Um, and then they came back a little bit later and they measured the volume of emails that that executive team of six people were sending into the organization, and it dropped by a half on the application of three simple rules. That simple. It's that simple, isn't it? The game changer was then they measured the amount of email the rest of the organization was sending to each other, and they had no rules to follow. That dropped by half too. Because in the end, as you say, it all comes from the top. So if this top if the people at the top start operating differently, it cascades right through the organization. So for me, I mean, I'm thinking back to my own experience as a, as, as a leader. And, I, and it wasn't that many years ago, but, but the conversation about menopause has become a much more high-profile conversation just in the last one or two, three years. And that's a really, really good thing. I think that there'll be a lot of leaders, particularly male leaders in the workplace, who will be still saying, I'm not quite sure what I sh should be doing. I support this, but am I supposed to be asking people whether they're going through menopause? Am I supposed to be creating a safe space they can talk to other people about it? What's my role? What is the expectation on, on me? What guidance would you give to leaders, and in particular male leaders, but, but all leaders, in terms of creating more of a sort of an environment where it enables people who are going through that kind of thing to thrive? I mean, the key, the key thing there is educate and educate in terms of everybody in the organisation, make people aware of it. There are lots of free resources out there as well, but I do know, and certainly at Cantar, that's one of the things that we did. And I was sort of part of the sort of menopause champion group that we put together to talk about menopause. And we did some training for all leaders to make leaders aware, aware of menopause and the symptoms to watch out for, and to also encourage 
women and females that were going through the menopause to open up and talk about it. We also did a series of videos where we recorded sort of each of us that had been through it recorded, you know, five minutes of Q&A each. Um, so they could see that we weren't afraid as leaders to go out and tell people about our our journey with menopause. And that was quite powerful, you know, seeing it and hearing it from people that people respected in the organisation that were actually going through it. And so those are the sort of key things that I would start from. But I would also talk to your own family about it as well. And, you know, if you're a man of a certain age, you may have your wife that's going through it. So, you know, recognise that your wife might be going through these things as well, or your daughters, your sisters, your mum, talk to them about their experiences. Because the, the thing with menopause is every woman's experience is different. And there's a whole list of, of symptoms. Um, and, you know, I thought I was sailing through it. I thought that I was getting a few hot flushes and that was it. And then suddenly it just changed. And our hormone levels change. You know, for some people, it's a, 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 a steep change. For other people, it's a steady. And my two sisters, as an example, they haven't had anywhere near the symptoms that I've had. So even they struggle to understand what it feels like to be me because they've not had the same. Um, but there are other women who start really young as well. So you can't even say, look out for it in women who are in their 50s because some women start having symptoms probably in their early 40s. And we don't even as women recognise that those are symptoms. We sort of sit here and say to ourselves, oh, it's just because I'm busy at work and I'm tired and these things are going on. But it, it may not be. And, and I would also encourage women out there to not think that it isn't the first sign and to go and get some help and support. And probably a message to all the GPs in this country as well, because I heard something from one of my friends the other day who's in her early 40s and for me is clearly showing signs of menopause. And she went to her GP, who was a woman, interestingly, and was basically told, you're far too young to be starting on the perimenopause. I mean, and it just breaks my heart hearing that because, you know, it's a struggle and women struggle. And um, the more we talk about it and the more we encourage everybody to talk about it, the better. Um, and actually, I recorded, um, I mentioned to you previously, I think, that I recorded a podcast with my husband on menopause. And yeah, it was probably a bit strange to ask my husband to come on a, a podcast with me. But I want to share his perspective because it was really powerful. But what he saw his wife going through and, you know, he, he saw me being a completely different person. He didn't know what to do and how to help me. Um, but he went and educated himself as well. And we both sort of went through the experience together. So I think that's the thing is be supportive and and don't, as a leader, open up the conversation. If you've got a team of, you know, various different types of person and ages of people, then just open up the conversation about, you know, just ask the question, are you okay? I mean, it's a really powerful question. Are you okay? And mean it, and then you don't. You just don't know what actually will happen if you just ask that one question. I love that, and I think that the thing that you're saying that's really making me think is every individual may have no experience of knowing people going going through perimenopause, menopause. They may have experience, but that experience may be one or two or three people, and that's important. But if you're a leader in an organisation how different it can be for different people is really, really important. So if you think I know it because I know this person and I'm assuming that other people of their age are having symptoms like them, actually 
that's not the best way to think about it because you actually need to, as you say, educate yourself about the broader range of symptoms people can experience and at different age ranges. I think this is, is super important and, and, and helpful to highlight. Tell me what you've gone on to do with People First Workplace. What are you doing there? Well, my, my business has sort of taken a couple of iterations, really, as, as businesses do. So I started out when I qualified um, thinking about doing um, sort of one-to-one coaching, you know, with executives and from a well-being and a health perspective. And I really fir- firmly believe that coaching and well-being coaching particularly is about looking at the whole person. So you, you, you can look at their physical health, but you need to look at their emotional health. And, and all the aspects of what's happening in somebody's life. And because you can focus on one or the other, but generally you need to get to the bottom of exactly why. So you might be overeating, but why are you overeating? You may be stressed, but why are you stressed? Is it because you're busy at work? And what's causing that busyness at work? Is it because you've not set your boundaries or you've not you know, recognised where you're overcommitting at home as well as at work and things like that? So it's really important to have a look at the whole the whole person and, and what's going on with them, the sort of holistic view. And I did that and I did it for probably about six months. Um, but I also really wanted to get into um, the sort of healthy from a physical point of view, because I actually um, did a program myself that just completely changed my life from a physical point of view. And, and I then not content with doing one thing, I then certified to be able to deliver that as a course as well. <laughs> Um, of course, because, you know, I like to put pressure on myself as, as we've already, already established. So I did all that. And then I kept being pulled back to leadership because I kept thinking about my experience as being a leader. And, and, and the people that worked for me, the people that I worked with and thinking about. I, I just miss I did miss actually I do miss being in the corporate world I miss sort of being in that corporate buzz if you like that you get and and I just I sort of I suppose just had this moment again maybe another unlock moment where I just thought that's the missing piece for you in terms of your passion and what you want to do because I want to create not create it's not a word develop a new generation of leadership that isn't the leaders of my generation isn't the leaders that that much as though they try and I do believe that most leaders want to try and do things differently but they just don't know where to start so I want to be the one a sort of thought leader that really leads people to make that change and it's it's not going to be an overnight thing it absolutely isn't um so what I do is I sort of created this so I suppose series of masterclasses, which bring together all of those things. And it starts, it does start with those middle leaders and really the well-being and health of those middle leaders. Because if you get that right, it has a, an amazing cascade effect on the rest of the organisation. Because if they start to care about their own health, they care about the health and the um, well-being of their teams. And so the, the sort of, the programme comes in two halves, really. One is the physical and then the other one is um, as I like to call it conscious leadership and it, but it's sort of people first leadership in terms of themselves and their own sort of emotional awareness, their awareness of themselves and just how they bring themselves to work, their awareness of others, the awareness about the neurodiversity of others, just not only in the, the way that they behave, but in the way that they 
that they come to work and the sort of challenges that they may have going on outside of work that we need to be aware of as leaders because that impacts their performance as well. And if we can bring all that together and get that right, in fact, I know by bringing all that together and getting it right, it will make a difference to the organisation and the return on investment with my sort of CFO hat on here. And I keep thinking, actually, that I, when I go and speak to CEOs and to CHROs and of this world, that actually it's probably the finance people that I should be talking to because the return on investment for that, you know, relatively small investment um, to deliver the, the sort of productivity and uh, a motivated team and a thriving team and how much you would get out more out of a thriving team is you know exponential so that's really what I do now and that's why I do what I do and you understand that better now than when you were the CFO absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's interesting isn't yeah it? and you know if some, yeah it is and if somebody sort of came to me now a CFO when we were sort of like you know at the beginning of COVID, going to look for ways we can, um, you know, save money and cut back our costs with this as part of the solution, I probably would have said, oh, no, really? And then I would have probably sat there and thought, actually, no, that does make sense. It does make sense because you, I knew that the leadership team I worked with were not thriving because they were too stressed and too under pressure. And if we had just taken that step back and focused and invested in them and their physical health and well-being, we could have mastered anything that was thrown at us. It's interesting. I, I look back the same way in, in lots of my career and I think I didn't appreciate what I appreciate now around the power of investing in your people. And I wrote an article recently where it was talking about transformation mindset and I was bringing to life lessons learned actually from people I've spoken to on this podcast. And the last lesson was from me, and it was the last thing you should cut is the investment in your people when going through transformation, because you feel like if you've got to save money, one of the easiest cost lines to save is training and development and coaching and well-being and all these kinds of things. And of course, you're missing the point that if you can get your people to thrive, then the impact in their productivity and engagement and effectiveness is an order of magnitude higher than most of the levers that you can pull across your transformation. Um, and I think back to myself and I think, if somebody told me that, would I have listened at the time? And I don't know, but I know I should have done. I should have listened. And so now I think, well, what could I say now to that person to help them to understand and take a step back and see in, in a new light? So I think that's really powerful. Mm, absolutely. And, it, you know, that there is so much out there isn't there at the moment on well-being in the workplace and lots of sort of ticking the boxes as I call them in terms of you know the mental health first aiders and I think the latest trend is you know financial well-being and, and you know and it's got its place and I absolutely understand that the same as employee assistance programs but it's got to go beyond that and this this whole thing you were saying about earlier about the culture and fundamentally leading through a people first organization is is, the, is got to be where we come from and it's not a an overnight thing that you can just tick in a box. It's, it's, it's much deeper than that. If someone's listening to your story and it's really resonated with them, particularly if they're thinking about, you know, the experiences you had, you know, as, as, as a woman going through perimenopause, where should they start in terms of getting some support or making a change in, in their life, in their balance? Well, the first thing they can do is reach out to me because <laughs> I would be absolutely happy to do that. 
However, what I would say is just simple steps like being present in whatever you do. And I know it's talked about quite a lot. It really is. And when we were talking earlier about the emails, et cetera, and I was thinking to myself, oh, I remember when I was on Zoom calls um, during COVID and we were on Zoom calls and then we all have this chat facility as well, don't we? So you not only do you have emails now, you've got these wonderful little chat things that suddenly pop up. And when you're in a meeting, there were almost like a few of us in the meeting that were all there messaging each other while we were in the meeting, either because we were trying to deal with something else at the same time, that the meeting could have actually gone more effectively if we'd all been absolutely present in what we were doing. Um, And that's just a small example, but I think it's things like that. And if you've got a piece of work that you're doing, just close your email down and just, you know, just take, just decide, I'm going to look at my email first thing in the morning, last thing at night. And I might do it at lunchtime, but that's it. You just, the rest of the time, you just do and be present in everything that you're doing. And, you know, I got sucked into that all the time. And before you know it, you're on this sort of like email trail, aren't you? Sort of like just dealing with that particular email problem rather than actually focusing on the sort of tasks that you had in hand. Um, so, yeah, being present and be that at work or at home. You know, be, if you're at home, be at home. Don't go looking at your emails when you're at home. Don't go sneaking off to, you know, get trapped in your email while you're at home with your family. Just, you know, when you're at home, you're with your family and focus on your family. And those two, you know, that thing alone can really help to just slow, slow down the sort of mental chatter that goes through your head. And if people want to find you, reach out to you, find out about the work you're doing, how can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. That's, uh, they can search for me as Steph Lee on LinkedIn. And um, also People First um, Workplace on LinkedIn as well. And I'm on other social media channels, uh, Facebook and Instagram. And um, my website is www.heronwellness.co.uk. And the reason it's Heron Wellness is that my that was my original incarnation of the business. Um, and I particularly chose Herons because they're serene and calm and I love Herons. So that's my website if you want to find out more. Fantastic. And if they want to hear more of your podcast conversations on the subject of well-being at work, remind us of your podcast. My podcast name is Redefining Wellbeing in the Workplace, and it's on all of the main um, podcast um, apps that you that you use. So you can you can find me there. Fantastic. And I've got some great some great stuff and love the episode that we did together, Gary, as well. That was great. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. The former senior finance leader turned well-being coach. Steph Lee. It was the combined impact of COVID and the perimenopause that convinced her that something had to change. Steph, thank you so much for sharing your story with so much openness and authenticity and for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. You're very welcome. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.